Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in my home studios in South Bend, Indiana, and sitting across from me in the in his home office in beautiful Portland, Oregon, is the man who recently took his 14th consecutive trophy at the annual Permanent Deacon Awards, also known as the Deeks, for the most dynamic deacon. And that is, of course, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. How <laughs> you doing, Ken? I'm well, thank you. It's always a joy to see the to see your home office and to see all those Deke trophies, uh, you know, behind you there. Uh, uh, I assume, you know, like uh, because they're they. I like the design of it. How it's got the trophy itself has a little um, kind of a, a line that goes diagonally across, just like you the way you wear your stole. Very handsome. Very handsome. <laughs> if that only were true. <laughs> what you actually see behind me are a ton of books. <laughs> I do see a ton of books. As a matter of fact, I see a book up there uh, that uh, we need to talk about really soon because it's your newest book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our Life of Service. Our Life of Service. The which Handbook is about... for Catholic Deacons. Yeah. 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 Uh, Maybe when we're, when we're done with this document, we could talk, walk through that. Yeah. I would love to because I know. Do you have a copy of it? Did I don't have a copy. Oh, my goodness. I will okay. send you my address. You yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know because uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to learning a little bit more about that because I know that's been a labor of love for you during uh, during lockdown and things like that, being able mm-hmm. to to work on uh, a book about what it means to serve as a deacon. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, something I've been wanting to write about for a while and, and couldn't find the time, but then uh, God gave me the time. So. <laughs> So I'm very happy, but I'll get the, yeah, I'll get that in the mail to you. I, that's right. I didn't realize fun. you didn't have a copy. Awesome. So possible. Well, I can add it to uh, my book collections, which as you see are, yes. are stacked in behind see. me here. It's uh, that's one of the things though, that is beautiful about our faith, right? Is that, you know, we, we are relational people who also reflect deeply on what it means to be in love with Christ and to be loved by Christ. And, you know, I know so many of the things that I like to read uh, include, you know, prayer books, uh, books on prayer. I was recently um, uh, downloaded a copy of uh, A Guide for Beginners in Prayer by Peter Kreft, the great philosopher at Boston College. You know, I mean, this guy's in his you know, he's in his late 70s, maybe 80s, and he writes about being a beginner in prayer. And, you know, you think about that, yet we're all beginners in prayer, right? And so it doesn't hurt to continue to read introductions and to be called back to the the simple things because we can get into our heads, too. Uh, and so it's so good to be able to uh, take a fresh approach, a fresh look at even something that we we may think we know really well anyways. Yeah, you, you can never get enough about how to go deeper in prayer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, and it says marriage, right? You, you're always learning more, no matter how long you're married, you're learning new depths of how to love your spouse, right? right? And, and the same thing with prayer, we're, we're going to new depths and learning how to love God even better and how to incorporate 
um, his love into our lives in, in, in deeper and more meaningful ways. Yeah. You know, and prayer is that touchstone. I mean, prayer is how we get there. So you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, the more we can learn how to pray better. Um, you know, one thing I've been, what I've been really working on is, is how work is becoming prayer ah. for me. You know, say Benedict, I think, nailed it when he said, or at labor, right? Pray and work. So that your work, at first, what do you focus on? You're focusing on uh, tasks getting done and metrics and goal setting and how much can I get done today and all this kind of stuff. And, and But after a while, at least in monastic life, after a while, you know, your work does become part of your prayer. So it's not just, oh, the bell's ringing. I have to, I have to stop what I'm doing now and go off to prayer. You're, you, after a while, it becomes a moving from one type of prayer to another. Sure. You see, and sure. in the home life, when you're changing a diaper, when you're making dinner, when you're driving home from work, when you're doing those seemingly mundane activities, your everyday kind of work life, how is that becoming prayer? See, it's really not when, when you start getting into prayer where there's not that division anymore. You right, know, it, right. it's just a, a prayer becomes a natural flow throughout your entire day. And so that's where I think uh, we can get to, we need to get to as, a, as people of faith. I absolutely agree. I, I know that I like to uh, pray the Jesus prayer, or at least a version of the Jesus prayer. You know, I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this becomes, in a sense, a mantra. It becomes something that I repeat as I breathe in and out. And, and even in moments when I'm just kind of distracted, that prayer will come to mind. It'll come mm-hmm. to mind, and then that transforms the moment that I'm in right then too, right? Because it's maybe I've been distracted or I'm not paying attention to what's going on. Then all of a sudden this prayer just kind of comes up. It bubbles up to my, to my consciousness. And at that point I realize I can be called back into this relationship with God. And so it's not a prayer that I'm necessarily praying in response to the moment, but it sanctifies the moment. And so, uh, yeah, I think uh, getting in, in such a habit that it actually does bubble up like that is kind of a wonderful experience. It's, um, it, I don't know. I just, I love it. I, I No, I, I, I have several mantras. I do exactly the same thing, Ken. I have several mantras that I, that I have myself. You know, I just say sometimes, thank you, Jesus, or thank you, Blessed Mother, or something like that. Or, yeah. or Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I give my life to you. Right? Wow. And something I've been praying is the uh, Serena Novena. And at the end of the Serena Novena, you know, uh, well, it was, of course, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to you, take care of everything. But then there's another little prayer. Mother, I am yours now and forever through you and with you. I always want to belong completely to Jesus. Wow. <laughs> and, I, and those will just like you said, they'll just bubble up. I'll be getting out of the car. Yeah. Like just going to Safeway, just getting out of the car. Thank you, Jesus. Or. Jesus, I give myself to you, take care of everything. You know, as I'm walking to the store, yeah. that mindfulness, you know, that 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 your heart just can't contain it anymore. It just has to come out. And it's, again, it's helping to sanctify that time or sanctify your time throughout the entire day. So your entire day becomes an offering to God. Amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> uh, we need to talk about something 
that we've been talking about for weeks. And it actually speaks about transforming the very world in which we live. And uh, so we're going to pick up our conversation about, about the mystery of the Eucharist in the life of the church, uh, which the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops published in November of 2021, just a few months ago. So <clears throat> this section that we're in uh, is paragraph 3738 is all about transforming the world in Christ as a response to the gift of the Eucharist that we have received. So we left off with this quotation from St. John Chrysostom, which talked about um, honoring the body of Christ in concrete ways by by um, clothing the naked and by feeding the hungry and saying, you know, you can't in order to be consistent, you can't worship Christ in the temple, in the church, and then go out and ignore Christ in the poor and in the hungry around you. Those are connected, especially because, as he says, the one who said, this is my body, is the same one who said, you saw me hungry and you gave me no food. So that's where we left off our conversation last week. Yeah, and then it talks moves right into St. Teresa of Calcutta. Um, you know, because there was no question she had a, uh, an, an incredible love and devotion to the Eucharist. She would start off every day with Eucharistic adoration and they would always start off the day with mass. They, yes. they would have to think um, Eucharistic adoration, then it would go to mass and then have breakfast and go out and help the poor. Because, again, the spiritual food she receives is what impelled her to go out and be Eucharist to the world, right? We talked about before in the last show, our faith is not something to be held for ourselves. It has to be shared. And that's exactly what she did with the poor. Now, people may make a comment about that dark night of the soul that she went through when those letters came out to her spiritual director about the darkness and she didn't feel anything. Right, right. You know, but let's, let's, let's be real. I mean, day after day after day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, working literally with the poorest of the poor and almost seeing nothing happening. I'm knowing that you are making a difference because you do what God has called you to do, but you still see it over and over again, where sometimes she's like, you know, it's just, it's just very human. You know, is this making a difference? You know, or right now I, I'm doing the work. I'm going through the motion, but I'm not feeling God right now. We've come on. We've all been there. Let's be real. We've all, right. you know, how many times I've been out on gigs, Ken, and 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 I'm about to go out there and speak like the last night of the parish mission. I'm thinking, man, I can't wait to go home, you know, because I, I've been on the road for two weeks, whatever. And right. I just like every it's a grind every day. I'm speaking at a high school and then to a men's group. And then you have a little bit of time in the afternoon to myself. And then I have to speak again. And then I mean, over and over every day. You know, knowing that I'm doing God's work, but I'm not not comparing myself to Mother Teresa, by the way. I'm not even not even close. I'm saying in the human experience, we've all been there. We've all been there in that grind where we're doing God's will and we still feel pockets or spaces of emptiness. And that's okay. Come on. Think about marriage. And there are times you're like, you know, okay, my spouse, whatever. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. you know, yeah. oh, I just can't wait to see you because my heart is overflowing. Come on. That that doesn't happen every day. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just a natural human thing, but you have to just work through it. You know, that's what Mother Teresa, she kept going. She, kept, she prayed through it and worked through it and never, never, never lost faith or trust in, in, in God and in the mission that God had for her. That is such an important reflection um, because it does give hope. It and and 
what it gives witness to is the very Christian virtue of hope as well. Hope is is continuing to do and to trust in the promises, even when we don't see the results right here, right now. And that's absolutely it's what Mother Teresa witnessed to. Um, and so the bishops here, quote, uh, Mother Teresa is said to have asserted, we pray to Jesus to give us that tenderness of the Eucharist. Unless we believe and see Jesus in the appearance of bread on the altar, we will not be able to see him in the distressing disguise of the poor. And Mother Teresa, there she is acknowledging it's a distressing disguise of the poor, right? She worked with the poor every day, as you said, the the poorest of the poor, those who literally were ignored by everyone in one of the largest cities in the world. There she is working in the, the literal gutters of Calcutta and viewing each and every one of those those people with whom she gave this tender love as Christ himself. And it was a witness to the fact that she saw Christ in the Eucharist on the altar. And she saw Christ right here in the gutter in Calcutta and in every city and in every town and in every place where we encounter the poor, we too are encountering Christ himself. And when, when you do this to the least of my brothers, you do it for me, says Christ. The Benedictine rule, you know, he who receives a visitor is receiving Christ. You know, it's right there. Why is it that St. Benedict animates our conversation so often, by the way, Deacon? <laughs> I know you and I both share a love of St. Benedict. So, yeah, yep, that's right. You know, and Pope Francis goes on in the next paragraph, paragraph 38, uh, talks about the throwaway culture. Um that we need to find decency to view people and not to view people as disposable. Yes. You know, he says some parts of our human family, it appears can be readily sacrificed for the sake of others considered worthy of a carefree existence, you know? Um, so the poor, the disabled, the unborn, you know, uh, sometimes people of color, you know, the elderly, you know, we, uh, those are people that cannot be just pushed to the, to the margins, right. You know, um, the, the, every single person is made in image likes of God. Every single person needs to be respected because they, they carry the image and likeness of God within them. Uh, and, and just like Mother Teresa saw Christ in the poor person standing in front of her, it, it says here, we need to see Christ in the unborn, migrants and refugees, victims of racial injustice, the sick and the elderly. Yes. You know, uh, And not just forget about them as an afterthought, but really to, to see the image of God in, in, in them. It's beautiful. Absolutely. Paragraph 39 uh, quotes the Second Vatican Council, the wonderful document Gaudium et Spes, in which uh, paragraph 27, which is one of the most beautiful and overlooked paragraphs in, in the Second Vatican Council. Whatever is opposed to life itself, such as any type of murder, genocide, abortion, euthanasia, or willful self-destruction, whatever violates the integrity of the human person, such as mutilation, torments inflicted on body or mind, attempts to coerce the will itself, whatever insults human dignity, such as subhuman living conditions, arbitrary imprisonment, deportation, slavery, prostitution, the selling of women and children, as well as disgraceful working conditions, where men are treated as mere tools for profit rather than as free and responsible persons. All these things and others of their like are infamies indeed, say the Council Fathers. They poison human society, but they do more harm to those who practice them than those who suffer from the injury. Now think about that last mm. sentence there. 
We know how awful it is to see an abused child, an abused woman, uh, somebody who has been tormented, tortured, uh, children killed in abortion, all these sorts of things. We know how awful that is for the person that has undergone this. And yet the, the council fathers at the second Vatican council remind us they do more. Those actions do more harm to those who practice them than to those who suffer from the injury, because it is the very soul that is being killed when we perform these actions, when we torture, when we mutilate, when we kill, we are the ones who suffer the most. So and, and that's from the words of Christ. Um, you have to be careful with all those things that hurt the body, but you have to be even more wary of those things that kill the soul. Yes, indeed. Wow. That's yeah. deep. Yeah, that's deep. And that's why we have to pray for uh, Jesus. Pray for your enemies, right? Cause you know, we, 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 even people that commit those heinous abuses, we have to pray for them. And that's really hard to do. It really is, but it, that's what we're called to do. Um, and, and this is part of how we live that Eucharistic reality in the world that, that we're talking about here, living out that Eucharistic experience um, that the bishops talked about in the first half of the document. Now they're saying, okay, Ite Misa S, right? You are sent. She right. is sent. Now we have to go out and live that reality. And, and this is the reality, you know, that uh, we have people not just, not just marginalized, but people who are doing the marginalizing right. <laughs> that also need our prayers. Um, and we need to, to con- continue to dialogue with them. You know, it's real easy, Ken, just to say, I don't have anything to do with you. Your, your views are so different than mine. I don't have anything. And that was me when it, when it come, came to some uh, organizations and things. But, you know, what I've been realizing is that, okay, we're really far apart right now, but, but we got to keep the doors of dialogue at least open. Yes. You know, because nothing will ever change if we just shut up uh, doors and put up barriers. We have to continue at least to be open to hearing what the other person has to say and engaging in, in sometimes very difficult, but respectful dialogue. Why? To come to truth. And truth ultimately is not an idea. It's it the, is a person, Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Pray for those who persecute you is what Christ told us to do, you know? Exactly. The, uh, Bishops also go on to point out that, again, transformation in Christ is more than just society as well. They say, just as we are impelled by the Eucharist to hear the cry of the poor and respond in love, we are also called to hear the cry of the earth and likewise respond with loving care. Because, as they say, all creation gives glory to God and journeys towards divinization, toward union with the Creator. Uh, of course, they mentioned Pope Francis that uh, has, you know, drawn this great connection for us. Laudato Si. We think about the the uh, encyclical on on care for creation, but all of creation is going to be recapitulated in Christ. There will be a new heaven and a new earth that will be peopled by a heavenly Jerusalem. All things will be transformed in Christ, and that begins now when we begin to help prepare the way for the kingdom. We want Christ to come back to, uh, to come back. Of course, we, we look forward to the second coming. We don't want him to come back to an earth that we have managed to destroy in the process. And in the meantime, no, exactly. Right. And I know, I mean, I'm not, you know, an environmentalist per se. Right. Right. But I think it's definitely important. uh, It's important because God, we are caretakers of God's creation and we do have a responsibility to future generations to ensure that they have the same 
opportunities to have clean water and air. I mean, we just can't take those things for granted. Right. You know, uh, just like we can't abuse someone made in an image likeness of God, we also can't abuse God's creation. Right. So just in the way that, you know, you go hunting, they put limits on the, you know, how much you can fish or how much you can hunt, not because they're trying to take away your freedom, because they're also trying to maintain the integrity of the animals and things exactly. like that. So there's a balance there. You see, there's a balance there. And that's what I've come to realize, you know, uh, over the years now about that, finding that right balance to make sure that we're maintaining both uh, the human element and the physical earth elements as well, that we're working to really to sustain both. Yes. Um, although I, obviously for me, the, the human piece is, uh, is incredibly important, but I think we also have to define again, that balance and making sure that we are recycling and doing that. Cause I, I, I could give a, you know, a rip about recycling before I moved to Oregon to be honest with you, sure, you know, sure. but, but actually living here now, I've come to see, you know, the benefits of it, you know, and um, the efforts that people are making even if it may be misguided as we see it from a Christian perspective, but in a sense, they are responding to that natural moral law. Right. You know, when they're taking care of the environment and and something that Pope Francis is really emphasizing his pontificate as well. I find it funny. Some of the efforts of the secular world that, uh, and and sometimes even we manage within the church to, um, to kind of go along with the flow. There's, I read about every now and then, you know, meatless Mondays, uh, you know, in order to kind of help uh, both, uh, you know, eat less meat because uh, animals that are that are grown for meat, you know, use a lot of resources and things like that. So different groups will will promote meatless Monday. And my thought is always the church has this tradition already. We have throughout you know, history, we have we have promoted the penitential act of not eating meat on Fridays and. And so then, you know, to see at, a, at especially at Catholic schools, you know, meatless Mondays start to become a thing. Well, why not actually go with what the church has been teaching already for hundreds, if not thousands of years and actually do that on Fridays and to promote it because it can it can have multiple meanings, right? Different people can can latch on to the importance and the value of this. Both are. Of course, those of us who are people of faith, who uh, are performing this action out of an act of reverence for our God, out of an act of penitential solidarity with Christ's sacrifice, and those who want to abstain from meat for secular reasons, for, you know, less, uh, for reasons that aren't necessarily related to faith. Why not make Meatless Fridays a thing? Why, Why have to invent yet another day? Now, of course, I also understand we can do both. We can not eat meat on Fridays and on Mondays. Oh, Wednesday is another traditional day of fasting uh, that has been throughout throughout uh, Christian history. But again, we can be both and people, but let's also appreciate the great heritage that we have received that connects us more consciously with the sacrifice of Christ, the great gift of Christ uh, of salvation, which took place on a Friday. So that's just one thought that always comes to mind. I kind of think of it and, and laugh. I'm like, gosh, guys, we've already got a day for that. Yeah. You know, I remember growing up, my mom, uh, the, the practice we had, there was no meat on Wednesday and Friday in our house growing up. Yeah. Yeah. That was just, that was the thing, you know, and that's just what we did. Obviously, I didn't understand at the time, but that was something that my mom did. We just didn't even think about it. It was just, you know, sure. that's just what we did. 
And um, well, it's but perhaps I can easier. very much appreciate it now. It's perhaps easier as a kid. You're going to eat what mom puts on the on the table. But, you know, as adults, where we are the ones making this conscious decision to put some thought into it and to recognize that uh, we do this for a reason. We do this because we are in connection with Christ and in connection with the poor who can't afford meat. That may be your your motivation, but uh, that is a good enough reason to uh, to actually observe this great penitential practice. Um, Agree. Section forty two uh, is kind of wrapping up this this section on transformation in Christ. It says. Um, our communion with the Lord shows that the kingdom of God is not simply something we await at the end of time. You know, we've been kind of talking about this for the last few moments. The kingdom is already present, if not in its fullness. It has come in the person of Christ and grows mysteriously in the hearts of those incorporated into him, says the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 865. Uh, the mystery of the kingdom remains present in the church because she is joined, that's us, we are joined to Christ as the members of a body are to their head. In the communion which is the church, quote, the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, already exists and will be fulfilled at the end of time. Again, that's the Catechism of the Catholic Church. We are called to help prepare the way for the kingdom, and yet we also are a foretaste of the kingdom. And especially when we allow ourselves to be transformed and we work actively to transform the world around us, we are preparing the way for the kingdom of God. Absolutely. I love that. You know, and that's a great quote here from the compendium of the social doctrine of the the church. Uh, It says, men and women are, are... who are made new by the love of God are able to change the rules and the quality of relationship, transforming even social structures. So again, it's, it's this personal transformation that leads to a transformation of society. Um, there are people capable of bringing peace where there is conflict of building and nurturing fraternal friendship where there is hatred, you know, so, so it's just the, the opposite of, of what, of what's being offered to right. us in the culture. We can make a difference, right? Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, but we, but we truly can if, if we truly incorporate our faith into our life every day. Yeah. And they end with this. Only love is capable of radically transforming the relationships that men maintain among themselves. Love. Amen. Amen. Well, Deacon, that wraps up this, uh, this section, and it also wraps up our conversation for this evening. So when we come back next week, we will talk about personal conversion. Not transformation of the world, but we're talking about transforming ourselves and our own hearts. And so we'll pick up with paragraph 44 next week. Uh, Folks, you can always connect with us on Facebook. We're at Living Stones Media. And you can download previous episodes of the show at materdeiradio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week to talk about conversion, might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.